Hello, everybody. Welcome back in to the Phantom Football Podcast. I am Benjamin Parker. Week four of the NFL. Fantastic. We are joined by Simon and Ronan. Um, probably not as many close games this week, guys, but uh, I think more stories coming out of this week than last week. Simon, I'm starting off with you. How are you and uh, any first impulse from this week? Ben, I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Um, I think we're starting to get a picture of the noise that happens in the first three or four weeks of the NFL season, what's real and what's not. Obviously, we're still in it, but I think we're starting to be able to get a big enough sample size to decide are things going to continue the way they are for some teams or are some teams about to turn it around? So definitely an interesting week for uh, projecting for the rest of the season. Ronan, I'm going to run it right to you. We're going to get jump right into injury. Speaking of noise and, and, uh, and, and <laughs> segues and everything, the Broncos have not looked good. It, it has not been a pretty start. Now, we, we all expected some kind of a little bit of a rough beginning. This has been way worse, yet they're still two and two. You know, it's, it's, it's not a sinking ship yet, but now they've got some injuries to deal with. Randy Gregory, knee surgery. He's out for two to six weeks. We'll see how good he looks when he comes back. You know, he's a very speed-dependent kind of a guy. Uh, Broncos running back Javante Williams out for the season. Managed to tell both, tear both his ACL and his LCL. In fact, so Ron, talk to us about the Broncos a little bit, man. Yeah, losing Gregory, you know, they brought him in uh, this past offseason to kind of replace that Vaughn Miller role. And now they're going to have to do without him. So the defense hasn't necessarily been the issue. Uh, I, I don't know if they're going to have that much of a downgrade in play. I think this defense is still fairly good. Uh, this Javante Williams injury, though, that's that, that's going to be tough. Melvin Gordon, he's been struggling this season with fumbles. Uh, I believe he's at four so far this season. Uh, Javante, it's looking like he hopefully will be back at the beginning of next season. Uh, but even then, that's a, that's in question right now. Simon, I'm going to list off a number of injuries from other teams. We'll talk about more about the Broncos maybe later in the, in the, in the podcast. Falcons running back Cordell Patterson. Cordell Patterson's on the IR, probably not for the season. It looks like it may be a few weeks. Uh, Colts running back Jonathan Taylor, day-to-day. Giants quarterback Daniel Jones, who seemingly is always day-to-day, is officially day-to-day. Uh, Titans wide receiver Traylon Burks, week-to-week turf toe. And uh, Eagles offensive tackle Jordan Malata week-to-week shoulder. What jumps out at you there? Well, obviously, if Jonathan Taylor is going to end up being long-term, then that's a really bad sign for the Colts, who are already struggling offensively. I would say Thursday night's game for him is probably in question, but considering he'll have 10 days rest after that, and all the tests came back negative on the ankle. It's not a high ankle sprain, so hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later. Um, Obviously, Giants quarterback Daniel Jones could be a big deal. Tyrod Taylor's in concussion protocol. But for the Falcons, man, they had very little going on for them offensively. They've been making it work through uh, creativity and trick plays and not knowing what position guys are really when you line up defensively. So if Cordero Patterson is out for, you know, obviously he's out for at least four weeks being on IR, but if it's going to be even longer than that, a couple months, this offense that feels like it was hanging on by a thread to what it was doing could really take a, a, a pretty steep downturn pretty quickly, I think. I, we're going to open up a big can of worms here. We'll spend a, you know probably three to five minutes on it, hopefully not the whole podcast. Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa 
Simon, I'm gonna come to you for some of the heavy stuff here in just a second. But I wanna I wanna go back a week, Ronan. I I know you had a strong first instinct when they were playing the Bills and, and you watched the, the original or the first, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, hit that he took. Uh, Ronan, a week before, what was your first instinct when you saw that? I thought immediately he had a concussion. And then that second half began and he tried to drive back out the home of the field. And I couldn't believe it. I don't think anybody else could either. I mean, you're looking at an NFL quarterback in 2022 – who was dealing with what looked like a head injury. Yeah, that, that was almost a shoe in He wasn't going to be back at least that game. And then you see him come back out the next half. You know, there's cause for some concern. And then, of course, this week we saw what happened. It's just not a good deal. Roland, my first instinct was the same as you. I thought concussion because when you see a guy wobbling around like that, literally staggering, to gain a balance, you don't think back injury, you think concussion. Now, for those for those in the audience who may not have seen it, both hits were a little weird. He landed on his back, and his elbow and his back actually hit the ground first, and then his head. It was not as if he had a linebacker steamrolling into him and helmet to helmet in the face, and you think, oh, easy concussion. But both hits were a little weird. But then the Dolphins came out, Simon, a few days after that, and said, no, it's a back injury, lower back injury. Everybody, of course, questioned it, questioned whether or not uh, Tagovailoa should have been back in the game, questioned whether or not he should have been playing Thursday night. Simon, uh, lead us into Thursday night and through what happened Thursday night against the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, PR-wise, this is getting worse and worse by the week for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, All the way up to owner Stephen Ross, all the way down to head coach Mike McDaniels, if if your own team isn't going to kind of look out for you on a day-to-day basis – then what are we doing? You know, what, what are, how can any of your players come to Miami and trust that they're going to be in a good situation? You're just starting to get to a point in your franchise's history where in this era of Dolphins football, you know, you're getting Teron Armstead, Tyreek Hill, you're getting guys to come here and play. If you're going to let this happen to your quarterback, how do you think running backs are going to feel? How do you think safeties are going to feel? How do you think anybody's going to feel Um, to put Anybody, not just your franchise quarterback, but anybody in the position where, okay, you could say the independent concussion evaluator may be screwed up, probably screwed up. Head coach Mike McDaniels maybe isn't even privy to that conversation, right? Everything's happening so fast, yada, yada. Five days later, you throw him right back into the, into the game uh, after, you know, based on how the game on Sunday ended against the Bills, the next couple of days – the fact that he wasn't at least still getting checked on because he was no longer in concussion protocol really put him in a really, really bad situation. Obviously when we're watching that game Thursday night against the Bengals, and this is really going to be the only conversation we really have on that Bengals game, because this is all that really matters. But for him to take any kind of hit, because when you have a concussion, which at this point, I think we could say he clearly had against the bills, you're so much more susceptible. That's why, We've seen players think about Brandon Cooks for over the last few years. We see players go weeks and weeks and weeks sometimes before clearing concussion protocol, because if you show any symptoms of having a concussion, you're not only increasing your risk for another one, but the severity of the next one is going to be that much worse. So when we see Tua get tackled and yeah, like land not as hard on his head as even in the Bills game, 
and we see his hands and, and his body do what's called posturing, which is, uh, I'm going to explain this poorly. I'm not a doctor, but basically it's a neurological response where your brain stops functioning in certain parts of your body and that those parts of your body freezes. And it's because the brain is trying to focus on itself and say, there's something wrong here. I need to put my attention here. So for that to happen, because, oh, by the way, I got a concussion four days ago and now I'm out here playing NFL football again. It's really, I mean, it's honestly a disgrace. And we see this, we saw this a couple of weeks ago to a lesser degree with Brandon Staley and says, oh, Justin Herbert wanted to play even though it was a 38 to 10 blowout and he has a fractured rib cartilage. At some point as the head coach, and, and I don't care if you're a big former player like a Mike Vrabel or a, a tiny little dude like Mike McDaniel, you have to be a leader among these men uh, who are these primetime athletes, these type A type people. You have to stand up and say, listen, man, you're not going to play. You're not going to get out there because this stuff, what we're doing is not nearly as important as what could happen. Um, and the fact that we see the NFL PA and the NFL get together and immediately change this rule the day after uh, Tua goes through his, what I'm going to call his second concussion in a week's time where, oh, if the guy is staggering, he can't go back in the game. The fact that we even have to question that is, is just a joke. And the fact that he was able to play again is really just a disgrace. So um, that, that's where I'm at on Tua. That's where I'm at on the Dolphins. For as much as we want to talk about you know, the, the game and, and stuff on the field, the Dolphins really have to kind of look in the mirror and figure out what the heck is going on there because it's not looking good right now. We can talk, a, we can talk about this for an hour. Roland, I'll get back to you in just a second for any further thoughts on this. I, but you bring up an interesting point, Simon, and that is you almost want there to be an eyesight test. You can call it a stupid test. You can call it an optics test. You can call it a common sense test, whatever. When the guy is literally, and I mean Tua Tagovailoa, is literally staggering around on the field uh, as if he were drunk, but you can tell something is wrong with him. At that point, he really shouldn't be allowed back in the game. And, and, and we've all been in the spot where doctors sometimes you're talking straight or they do a brain scan and, or, and they can't find anything. You know, I get that. So I don't know if, 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 if the evaluator here is getting thrown under the bus and, and becoming a fall guy. I have no clue. But regardless whether he made mistakes or not, we all saw it. <laughs> and we all thought simultaneously, how is he back on the field? This is not the 90s. This isn't Troy Aikman and, and Brett Favre and Steve Young getting their heads bashed in and bravely getting back out on the football field again. This is 20 and 25 years later. We know better. And yet still it happened. And, and you know, it, there's, there's something should be in place to where when we can all look at it and see that it was that obvious, he shouldn't be allowed to play. That's just no, no, no other way to it. Ronan, anything else further on all of that? You know, I, I'm just almost surprised – you know, honestly, maybe I shouldn't be. The way that the team has treated Tua over the years, uh, pretty much since he's been drafted there, uh, it just this just kind of adds on to the saga, you know. And it's amidst all the, you know, tanking allegations and what have you. It's just not a good look at all. And it's too bad because the Dolphins were having the start of what could have been a surprising season. Who knows how, how much it could have gone. I'll say this, and I mean it with the best of intentions. I don't want Tua Tagovailoa back on the field anytime soon. I mean, forget next week. I don't want him back on for another month. I mean, just – and I don't 
you know, I get it. That That's your guy. That's the guy that, they, that you want on the field. I get that he was having a special start to what was a surprising season to some of us. I don't want him back on the field for the next several weeks. I, I want him to be evaluated by the by the very best in the world. And, and when everybody's certain that he's ready to go back out, that's when I want him back out there. Um, you know, Simon, you mentioned that there are more important things here than football going on. If you're in the mood for more football content from Phantom Sports Industries, subscribe to our newest podcast, the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Brandon Tim. Together, we'll take a deep dive into the data of fantasy football to get the weekly dubs and come out on top as our league's champion. We'll see you at the next episode, coming soon. Once again, this is the Phantom Fantasy Football Podcast from Phantom Sports Industries. See you there. All right, so pivoting off of that, and we all wish the very best for Tua, Monday Night Football just ended a little while ago, Rams 49ers. Um, I'll give you, I'll set the table real quick for this and run on a kick at the U. My thinking was, yeah, I know the 49ers have done pretty well against the Rams the past couple of seasons. I'm well aware of that. They were favored by two heading in. The closer I got to this matchup, I thought the Rams just had to win this game. Trent Williams being out with an injury. The 49ers already had an offensive line that didn't look very good heading into this early part of the season. I thought Matthew Stafford is greater than Jimmy Garoppolo. I thought the 49ers offensive line was going to have a hell, heck of a matchup with um, Aaron Donald um, just crushing them up the middle. I thought, okay, the Rams won't score a lot, but they'll still win this game, maybe something like 17 to 9. And instead, <laughs> Vegas is right. And the Rams looked awful, and Jimmy G had a decent night, and it was Matthew Stafford who gets sacked for seven times. So, Ronan, you know, I know it's your beloved team, but walk us through um, why was I wrong, why was Vegas right, what happened here tonight? Well, I think it's because that's the case every time the Rams played the 49ers in the regular season, or at least it has been the past, what, six times, seven times now. You know, the Rams on paper are the quote-unquote better team. And then they step onto the field and Debo Samuel runs wild and Jimmy Garoppolo will hit his target every once in a while. And that front seven in San Francisco plays out of their mind. Uh, It's uh, from a Rams fans perspective, unfortunately, just how it is at this point. Uh, That Monday night game, the Rams offensive line is borderline ragtag at this point. You know, Edwards was out, Allen was out, and then we had Coleman Shelton come out of the game early on. Uh, we had, Up the middle, it was Bobby Evans, who was like the, the Rams' third-string guard, right guard, uh, going into the season. Uh, and then I couldn't even tell it. Simon, can you uh, give me the name of the center? I never found him. I never okay. found him. All He's right. not well, on the Rams team site. He wasn't on the practice K. squad. He's not on pro football <laughs> reference. He started with a K and he did his best. So he doesn't he exist. He was at, yeah. It was the fan that ran onto the field. That's who yes, it was. Yes, that was it. He, he took the hit. He took the hit and got up. So they gave him a helmet. They said, you know what? You can, you're tough. Get out there. Bobby Wagner gave him the, uh, the initiation. That's right. He had to get hit. To get Quick training ready. camp and he was yeah. good to go. <laughs> But yeah, the, the offensive line, it was ragtag. Stafford got sacked seven times. And then on top of that, the Rams, they're lacking playmakers. You know, Van Jefferson, he hasn't been able to play this season. 
Tutu Atwell, he was hurt, or actually, I think he was a healthy scratch today. Uh, but he's been pretty much non-existent in the offense. Ben Skoronek has stepped up into the Tutu Atwell role. Whenever everybody thought Tutu Atwell was going to step up, it was Ben Skoronek. So, I mean, I, uh, that's a relative positive, maybe. But once the Rams get Van Jefferson back, I think the offense might look a little bit better. But, I mean, Stafford's just forcing the ball to Cooper Cup at this point. He threw it to him 18 times, caught, caught 14 of them for 122 yards. And then Higby had 12 targets for nine receptions and 65 yards. That's what, 30 quick maths right there? That's 30 receptions to two players. You can't have that. And then, you know, like I said, the 49ers, they're, they're the Rams kryptonite. And they were able to run the ball all over the field on him. Devo Samuel is pretty much still the regular season owner of the Rams, uh, as painful as it is to say. You know, this 49ers team is confusing because one week they look like a playoff team, and then the next they look uh, they they lose to a below 500 team. You know, so it, they're starting to swing into that playoff team uh, form. You know, they're starting to look similar to how they did last year. What did you guys see in that Monday night game? Simon, give give Ronan all Rams fans some hope here because it was not a good night, but yeah, the 49ers have their number. So, I mean, they're... for the most part, you got a pretty typical Rams game, right? I mean, they had almost 35 minutes of, of time of possession. They had 21 first downs to San Francisco's 13. Um, they, you'd like to say maybe the their money downs weren't great. They were 5 of 15. That's not very good. But the 49ers were only 5 of 12. Uh, the run game, 57 yards, but it's usually not very efficient. And San Fran only had 88. Uh, here, here's where – and pen, even penalties. Only one penalty for five yards, which is pretty insane. Here's where it comes down to. The Rams had the better offense the whole game. They were driving the ball, driving the ball, driving the ball. Ronan mentioned all those all those yards to Higby and Cup. Stafford was throwing the ball pretty well for the most part. Zero of three in the red zone. They get into the red zone a bunch of times. They have to settle for field goals. That's never good. Um, they obviously had the two turnovers, the, the Stafford uh, fumble to, at the end of the game, the pick six. All right, so there's the pick six. Take that seven points, which is already, if you take the, the field goals that they had to settle for and you take the pick six, that's already nine to seven. Then the next thing you want to look at is explosive plays. So for the 49ers, when, when you're one of these offenses that's not going to put these long drives together, um, which we're actually seeing a lot of here this season, um, it's about explosive plays. What can you create that's 20, 30, 40 yard chunk plays and hopefully end in a touchdown. And that was everything else San Francisco did. Jeff Wilson, 32 yard run for a touchdown that came off of an eight play drive. Uh, Debo Samuel, 57-yard touchdown reception that came off of a six-play drive. He got and out of there. It was, and that was obviously bad tackling by the entire Rams defense. But when you're talking about your only two offensive touchdowns for the 49ers came on eight and six-play drives because you were able to get 32 and 57 yards respectively on just individual plays that end in a touchdown. That's what that's what makes or breaks really a game like this. And the, the 49ers and Rams always play these kind of tight games. These coaches, it's always a chess match between them. Um, 
and, and you know, getting those big plays is what, is what makes the difference versus the grand total of yardage, but it's in smaller chunks at a time. Both teams are two and two coming off of this. Both teams are going to be fascinating to watch moving forward, as is the entire NFC, which is wildly inconsistent right now. Chiefs Bucks Sunday night. Uh, Simon, <laughs> the Tampa Bay Buccaneers decided that they just weren't going to run the football. Um, I'm curious to see if that was Tom Brady who decided that or somebody else. And Kansas City ran the ball a whole heck of a lot more than usual. Andrew Reid typically, over his history, doesn't really care if he runs the football or not. He just is be just as happy throwing to the running backs, you know. So um, talk to us more about what happened Sunday night. Yeah, so we saw two teams, and you hit it. It's the run game that made the difference. Uh, 189 yards on the ground for Kansas City and three yards for Tampa Bay. We saw two teams who fairly traditional in, in what they want to do offensively. I know we think about the Chiefs as this, like, big play kind of team, but they, tr- they especially this year, they wanted to run the ball. 27 rushes, 18 rushes, 23 rushes in the first three weeks, respectively. Uh, but they haven't had much success. Obviously, they had 128 yards in week one, but that was a blowout for the Cardinals. Uh, but then only 93 yards and then 58 yards the next two weeks. Tampa Bay, on the other hand, 33 attempts, 30 attempts, 14 attempts, six attempts now in weeks one through four, 152 yards, 72 yards, 34 yards, three yards. I just threw a lot of numbers at you listeners, but basically both these teams wanted to run the ball at the beginning of the year, hadn't had much success slowly progressively started running the ball less and getting less yardage being less successful at it they came into this game on sunday night and they went two different directions tampa bay said we're just not going to run it anymore kansas city said we're going to double down and try to run even more we're going to we're going to really invest in this and deciding to run the ball kind of you know worked it uh, played out we saw last year it started with the chiefs now it's happening to every team defense putting a lid on offenses we're seeing a lot more too high safeties with uh, one of them every once in a while sneaking down as a robber to defend crossing routes, but we're not seeing heavy boxes a lot. So teams are reacting by running the ball more, by putting more tight ends and fullbacks onto the field. Some of the best offenses in the entire league, we'll talk about a couple of them later, are primarily running teams. Uh, so for right now, that's what's working. Kansas City kind of went for it, and, you know, pun intended, they ran away with it in the end. Bills Ravens. Um, this was this was a fun one. Ravens owned the Bills in the first half. <laughs> I think it was twenty three at one point. Um, Baltimore probably should have won this game, and then all of a sudden, uh, they didn't. Uh, there, there are all kinds of things going on here. Uh, Simon, talk to us about the Bills and the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, so this is actually pretty similar. Uh, so the Bills are obviously one of the past happiest teams in the entire league. Um, and the Ravens knew that. They game planned for it. They haven't had very good success in the past uh, defense game so far this season. But they played it extremely well for the first quarter and a half, maybe. Uh, they they were playing with light boxes. Their defensive backs were all over the place, blanking the whole field, jumping routes, doing everything they wanted. Uh, but the Bills didn't give up on their game. Now, again, I'm not saying they started really pounding the rock or anything. But Devin Singletary had 11 carries on the game. I think six came in the second half, five came in the first half. They just never went away from it. Eventually, through a couple handoffs here and there, some Josh Allen scrambling, uh, a a big play was in their, I think, first drive of the third quarter. Devin Singletary had three straight runs that went for, you know, somewhere in the 25 to 30 yards in total. Uh, And things just opened up. The Ravens had to start respecting the run a little bit. Josh Allen had room to pass, and eventually they just mounted the comeback. 
if we go back to those early touchdowns that they had, Buffalo had two turnovers in their first four drives, which led to two touchdowns for the Ravens. They had a really good uh, field position. After that, once Buffalo was able to kind of maintain their offense and maintain possession of the ball, they were in much better shape to kind of go on a run and, and take it the rest of the way. It was a fascinating game. It's a huge win for the Bills. It, it, we, we knew somebody was going to come out of this game three and one. Somebody would be two and two. I think both teams will have a, a good shot at a good season moving forward. I have an interesting take. It, it, it's not necessarily even a hot take, Simon, but I'll, I'll kick it off to you. Watching, I, we have watched both of these quarterbacks scramble around and flee for their lives for, for a couple of seasons now. Lamar Jackson, of course, is amazing at it. Josh Allen is really good at it, too, in his own unique way. But I got to thinking, you know, both these teams, both these franchises have the luxury of not investing a lot in the offensive lines if they don't want to. Um, I think you and I both see the, the, the Ravens' offensive line pretty similar. You were a little higher on the Bills' offensive line, but neither offensive line is, is really in the top eight, top ten of uh, the offensive lines in the NFL. Because of these two quarterbacks can scramble around so good, it's almost as if the both franchises know, hey, we can put out some decent players. We don't want to be the worst in the league, but we don't have to worry about being the best in the league either. Um, surprise, surprise, Simon. Any truth to that? I think that makes a lot of sense. You, you have to figure out what your team needs. And, and if Josh Allen can, you know, sustain hits and kind of extend plays, even if he's getting draped on, yeah, you, you take a couple more third-round picks instead of first-round picks. If your whole game is predicated on – uh, an option game with Lamar Jackson and he's going to fake a handoff and just sprint away from any defensive tackle that's coming his way. Anyways, you probably don't need, you know, uh, all the, all the top tier offensive linemen in the world. That's why they let Orlando Brown leave for more money with Kansas city and, and stuck with Ronnie Stanley. And um, you know, now we see kind of the result of that where you have fourth round Daniel Paolele starting at left tackle when he clearly wasn't ready and a uh, 30 some year old Morgan Moses over at right tackle. But Again, Lamar can kind of create anything he needs to after that. We'll see as time goes if that kind of catches up with them. But I think right now, yeah, you're, you're making a lot of sense. Injury-wise, it will at some point. And I think both quarterbacks are happy when they're scrambling, to be honest. But um, we'll see if that does catch up to them injury-wise. Time for the barbecue. Ben's burning questions. Ronan, we are going to build off this Bills-Ravens uh, Bills, uh, game. Jim Harbaugh had an interesting decision to make at the end of this game. Talk us through it. Talk to us about what you were thinking there. Yeah, so tied 20 to 20, fourth and goal from the two, four minutes remaining. They had been ahead and then gave it up. You know, they're on the brink of choking the lead. They gave, well, they did give up the lead because it was tied. I understand going for it. That's what I'll start off with. I understand going for it. You have an elite talent at quarterback. Go for it. I understand it, but I don't necessarily like it. You've gone down the field. Simon, will you remind me what the uh, what the drive Four, was? Fourteen plays, ninety-three yards, nine minutes, twenty-nine seconds. You cannot run the risk of putting no points on the board after that long of a drive, especially after you've been up, what was it, 14 or 17 was the lead? 14. Mm -hmm. you, you can't give up, a, you can't put a goose egg up on the board after that drive. After giving up the lead, 
you, you got to get the lead back. It's tied 20 to 20. Just get the lead back. Your defense has already played well against a very good quarterback, albeit. You, know, you can't – I understand it's a roll of the dice and giving Josh Allen the ball back. But, man, you, you, you got to put points on the board. I understand seven looks a lot better than three, but zero looks a whole lot worse. Simon, I'm going to come to you in a second because there's two different kinds of thinking here. But here's what's happening to all head coaches and, and coordinators around the league. The way the offensive game is built right now, I think we first saw this in the Super Bowl with Tom Brady years ago against the Giants, but it's every week now. A lot of these quarterbacks, these top 10, top 15 guys, they can lead their team down the field in a heartbeat. All they need is about 40 seconds. And, and it really puts you in a tight, in a tough dilemma to know what to do here at the end of these games. So, Simon, tell us the other side of the thinking here. Yeah, so I'm actually with John Harbaugh here and, and what he did. First off, they're very analytically thinking, so they're always going to basically go with what the computer tells them to. And like Ronan said, you have Lamar Jackson. You're, you're going to always put the ball in his hands at the end of the game. Um, in terms of the speed that the other quarterback can get the ball down the field, I think we all remember the Chiefs-Bills game. We'll talk about it forever when we come up with these decisions. But in the playoffs last year, those guys basically scored like six touchdowns in a minute, I think. That's pretty much how it felt. But when the Bills took the ball back, there was four minutes left in this game. And they started from the – so let's say they started from the 20 because they had the pick six, right? Uh, or the interception, I should say. If they start at the 25 because you kick a field goal, kick it out of the end zone, how fast can they get the ball down the field? And they just need – they just need – they need a touchdown. In the situation that occurred, they had started with the ball at, at four minutes and nine seconds – and they got down to Baltimore's 11-yard line with a minute 50 seconds left. They were at Baltimore's three-yard line for a second and two with a minute 43 left. So less than three minutes into that drive, they got down from they got from the 20 all the way to the two. You have to know Josh Allen is going to do that because when you're defending Josh Allen and the Bills, you want to have your safeties back. You want to have your corners back because you don't want Stephon Diggs to beat, uh, beat you behind you. And when you do that, Josh Allen is going to run like crazy. My thing with the Ravens and where I put the fault is with the play call. We mentioned their offensive line that was struggling. They called a straight drop back pass for Lamar Jackson, where now they did have a good route and a good design for Devin DuVernay in the back corner, where if, if Lamar kind of uncorks that right from the start, they get a touchdown there. But get Lamar on the, on the run, man. He was cooking the entire Bills defense all game. Matt Milano. Tremaine Edmonds, it didn't matter. They started putting spies on him in the third quarter. It does not matter. You get Lamar Jackson on the move with, with you know, whether it's Duvernay or whether it's even J.K. Dobbins or whether it's obviously Mark Andrews. If you – Patrick Ricard was doing stuff in this game. If you just flood everybody to one side and let Lamar make a couple people miss, that's probably a touchdown. So that's my main issue with it. I think it was a good call. Uh, you go with that 100 times out of 100 because – you put the ball in Josh Allen's hands in that position, he's probably getting a touchdown either way. But with yep, four for a lot left, of with four minutes left, I feel like there's still plenty of time, even if the Bills do score. Does that make sense? Like it, if there was like two and a half minutes left, I'd almost understand going for it more. Uh, you, you know, just because not believing that three will be enough to keep that Bills offense down. 
But I don't know, four minutes left. I, I just feel like get all the points you can. If they do drive down the field, hope, just hopefully, you know, try to leave some time left for your offense to go back and get another try. So they even, it was kind of, I won't say it's funny. It was kind of funny watching them because they were having an internal kind of dilemma about letting the Bills score when they got down there. Uh, and you saw veterans like Marcus Peters and Calais Campbell yelling at the rest of the team for, for stopping. Uh, I think it was Devin Singletary. I think he had a carry. Um, he had a carry for eight yards. Uh, first and 10, Baltimore 11, minute 50 left. So after the two uh, the two-minute warning, Baltimore had all three of their timeouts at this point. Okay, and remember, it's, it's a tie game. Whether it was 23-20 or 20-20 at this point. Uh, minute 50 left. Devin Singletary runs. He gets down to the three and goes down because Odafe Owe comes down and tackles him. Everybody starts yelling at him. Those guys were getting in fights on the sideline. They wanted to let him score. I think they were not really in a position, and, and they have a new defensive coordinator this year. I don't think they were really prepared for a game script that included that sort of thing. I don't. They've been having miscommunications in the defensive backfield all season. We've seen we saw them against Miami give up a lot of big plays. We've seen this. They're having issues on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul played over half the snaps in this game. He just came off of the street. They're struggling to figure out what their identity is and what they're doing defensively right now. That would be a lot of faith to put in to say, okay, we we're, we are going to play this kind of defense until we get to the two-minute warning, and then we're going to play this kind of defense. They're not built for that right now. At this point, Trust Lamar Jackson to go get you two yards is, is basically where I'm at. It makes for a lot of fun endings to a lot of fun games. And, of course, for shows like ours, it makes for a lot of good stuff to talk about. Uh, Simon, we're a quarter of the season in. I want to know about some offensive lines. Uh, this isn't – yeah, this, this is exciting for me and Simon running. I'm sorry. You can take a nap if you want and then come back. Uh, <laughs> it's not very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, we won't take long. I, this isn't a whole list, but Simon, hey, tell us, if you will, some offensive lines that, that either look surprisingly good or surprisingly bad, or they're just done because they're so injured and, and there's no more hope for any of the season. Uh, give us a few teams there. Well, I'll answer that first one you had because we touched on them earlier. Sorry, Ronan, but the Rams are definitely in a bad position right now. The interior of that offensive line is just really tough. You mentioned Bobby Evans, who every injury that occurred, starting from training camp when Logan Bruss got injured, I was like, okay, so Bobby Evans is going to start a right guard. You're like, nah, probably Cole Shelton. And then Ryan Edwards goes down, Shelton moves to center. So Bobby Evans now, nah, it's probably Alaric Jackson. Uh, okay, uh, that doesn't seem great for Bobby Evans, and now he's starting at left guard. Uh, again, an unnamed, an unknown person is start is playing center snaps right now because Cole Shelton twisted his ankle twice in this game. The Rams aren't aren't looking too good. They were, I think, I had him as a top ten offensive line entering the season. Uh, it doesn't help that Joe Nopum has been struggling. Anyways, we kind of thought that he would kind of he wouldn't be as good as Whitworth right from the start, but we thought he would slide in and be fine at left tackle. Rob Havenstein's the only guy that's doing his job right now on the right side. Um, scrolling up a little bit to a team that's doing well despite injury. Shout out to the Detroit Lions. They're also a team that's on some backups. They're on their fourth and fifth string guards at this point. We got a guy who's, I, I think, a, a six-year practice squad player making his first uh, appearances in games, and he's doing great. 
the Lions just have a system where you, apparently you throw everybody in and, and they're fine. They haven't had their starting uh, right guard, Big V, all season. He went on IR before the season started. Uh, their Pro Bowl guard on the other side, Jonah Jackson, played one game and he's been out since. Despite that, the Lions are first in the league in points per game, first in the league in yards per game, fifth in the league in passing yards per game, passing yards per game with Jared Goff, the quarterback, and sixth in the league in rushing yards per game. Their offense is just kind of automatic, and this was a team that I was talking about where the run is setting up the pass for them, and they're doing that with their offensive line, no matter who plays. Uh, better than expected, the Dolphins. Uh, Eichenberg, uh, Liam Eichenberg, who I actually said in the offseason I thought would be better at guard, is playing well. Connor Williams is decent at center, actually. Greg Little might actually be an upgrade over Austin Jackson at right tackle, so shout out to them. They're doing pretty well so far. Worse than expected, the Colts. I was very high on the Colts. I think I had him as maybe a sixth or seventh offensive line in the league. Uh, Mark Lewinsky, who I am high on, I didn't think he'd make, I didn't think they would miss him this much. I think they're definitely missing him in terms of that interior communication. Matt Pryor at left tackle, that's not working out. I thought that was going to go a lot better. I think that was probably the guy I was most wrong going, most wrong on going into the season. Um, he had some good games last year at both guard and tackle, but whatever reason, it's not happening now. And special shout out. I didn't know where I was going to fit this in until now. But last week we talked about what was going to happen to the Chargers at left tackle with Rashawn Slater out for the season. I have a lot of notes on what happened for the Chargers at left tackle. And it's my guy, Jamari Sawyer. Uh, I didn't look into, I, but my, I didn't look into this, but my guess is he was their inactive player. And, uh, and because they trust Storm Norton to be a swing tackle going at a moment's notice, my guess is Sawyer was an inactive player going into this week or go in the first few weeks. And then when it came time to prep and get ready for starting left tackle, it was his job. He came in and was fantastic for the Chargers against the Houston Texans. Uh, if you're a draft person or a college football person, Jamari Sawyer was a, a four-year, I think, four-year starter at Georgia, played both left tackle and left guard. He slipped in the draft. They got him all the way in the sixth round. I am at as a day two player. Um and I think that was just because we didn't know what position he was going to be in the NFL. But he played left tackle uh, on Sunday against the Texans. And these are just the first few plays of the game. I, I just I just wrote these from the first few plays, and I just stopped and watched and enjoyed after that. Turn a defender to create a run lane in the very first play. Push the defender down the line uh, opposite direction for a wide receiver screen. Push the defender around Herbert on pass protection. Uh, mirrored outside and in on the touchdown pass to Gerald Everett. He picked up two different games on the second drive where uh, a looping defensive end and looping defensive tackle switched spots, and he passed it off very well with Matt Filer. Uh, he did the Alejandro Villanueva uh, swipe and knockdown on somebody in uh, one play where he just knocked a guy to the ground and jumped on top of him. Um, and then on a draw play, he went to the second level. He missed the linebacker, but he came back into the play and pushed him out of the way for the running back to create space. So those are just like honestly – 10 plays of the 50 or 60 that the Chargers had. And he looks good, man. So when Slater's back next year, if they get, if they get Sawyer ready to play right tackle uh, and, and we're not seeing Trey Pipkins or Storm Norton, and this was Ben, we, I'm going to, I'm going to call my shot, but we can go check the tape on our, our preseason. I wanted Sawyer starting and uh, it's looking pretty good so far. So I'm feeling good about that. And the Chargers certainly need it if they're if they're going to have any chance of the Super Bowl this year. They need something out of at least one of those tackle spots. Uh, Ronan, uh, but whether your Rams get him or not, Odell Beckham is still out there. Um, 
what are you hearing? How healthy is he? What teams might be interested in him? How soon might we see him back on the field? Those kinds of things, man. So I think in tonight's, uh, the Monday Night Football broadcast, they were talking about him coming back around week 10. Did anybody else, Simon, did you catch that? I caught the end of it. I didn't hear the week, though, but that sounds right. So in that area, I, I don't think there's a timetable set yet. Um, now, as far as teams interested in him, obviously the Rams are. Uh, the Bills, the Giants, and the Packers have all been teams that have been rumored to uh, be interested in adding the all-elusive wide receiver. The Rams need him. Um, after tonight, I think that's become pretty clear. I think I don't want to give too much of a hot take, and I know this isn't uh, Odell Beckham related, but that Allen Robinson move might not have been the right one because uh, he's borderline invisible out there. And uh, Robert Woods was able to at least put up some production. Roy Aikman kept saying that uh... – that uh, 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 Allen Robinson's releases were so great. I was just like, they're, they're not. The, the corner's right there. He's he's still there. I know he's doing a lot of moving and shaking, and it looks cool. Uh, he, he's not getting off that line any any faster than any defensive player right now. But as far as the Odell watch, it's at the moment a whole lot of nothing. Uh, reportedly, the Rams haven't offered him enough. Uh, he's kind of gone to Twitter and referenced you know maybe the Rams not offering him what he believes he deserves and that's honestly from his perspective understandable you know he stepped onto the team right away made an impact well maybe not right away but he eventually made an impact and I mean he got the team some gold so I I can see where he's coming from we'll keep an eye on it it's still a few weeks out but Odo Buckham I'm sure at some point this season we're going to see him back on the football field playing for someone. Simon, your beloved Steelers, um, not off to the greatest of starts this year, but we had a Kenny Pickett sighting. He actually had a lot of playing time yesterday, sooner than some people would like, not soon enough for others. But uh, tell us how he looked. Um, yeah, I, I, we're, we all know the stat lines, right, the three interceptions. But tell us how he actually looked on the football field yesterday. Guys, Kenny Pickett looked pretty good, man. Kenny Pickett looked pretty good. I gotta, I'm trying to stay calm over here. Uh, he he looked pretty good. Here's the thing, compared to so let's compare the, the play of Kenny in again this one game, this one half to what Mitch has been doing because the offense isn't all of a sudden dramatically different. But Kenny Pickett, what I saw, much quicker processing. He decided where he wanted to go. He was point and shoot. Uh, Mitch was he he was waiting a lot he, he was waiting he was moving around in the pocket he was seeing what else would develop Kenny Pickett was seeing some someone open and throwing him the ball all right that's a good start he was throwing some really nice back shoulder throws to George Pickens um a lot he was giving up a lot more contested catches Mitch was so afraid to turn the ball over because he knew hey this offense whether someone said it explicitly or not this offense isn't going to be great you're not going to walk in and be a hall of fame quarterback all of a sudden your job is to take care of the ball. So you watch any of those deep throws that he had, and he had plenty of deep throws. It's not that he was afraid to push the ball. 
but he was throwing them high. He was throwing them to the outside. He was making sure there weren't going to be any turnovers. He only had a couple picks so far this year. I think maybe only one. Kenny Pickett was saying, no, I'm going to throw it and give my guy a chance to catch it. So a couple of those back shoulder throws to Pickens, um, the corners were in position there, but Kenny Pickett made a good throw. Pickens made a good catch. Pickett knows, hey, I'm playing with house money right now, playing a little earlier than I expected. And also I'm playing with a little bit of swagger because I'm the first round pick and they're not going to pull me now that they put me in the game. Like this is it. It's Kenny Pickett time. So I'm going to throw the ball. And if I throw a couple picks, that's okay. You, you, you know, it's going to happen. Kenny Pickett is not going to be perfect. And in fact, those three interceptions, let's take out the third one. Cause that was the hail Mary at the end of the game. Those other two, if, if you watch, it's not that it was a bad read or a bad play or just like, Oh my gosh, what is he doing? They were the right, uh, one was the right throw to make. So the first one to Chase Claypool, he definitely underthrows it. it. It's a 30, 30 or 30, 35 yard pass attempt. I think uh, Claypool is streaking kind of on a, on a, you know, some sort of a crossing route, but uh, it hits him in the hands. You know, he underthrows him. Claypool has to kind of stop mid route. Claypool still should have caught it. Um, I will say that it bounces off Claypool's hands right into the safety's hands interception. Interception number two, I put a little more on Kenny. He, he breaks the breaks out of the pocket, a lot of pressure. He's about to take a sack. He What he said after the after the game was he was trying to put it in a place that only his guy would get it, all right? And that was Pat Fryer move. He puts it up over one corner, which was great. Pat goes up, gets both hands on it again. Ball gets tipped up. Safety comes over and picks it off. My issue with that was for a two-yard gain when – you were holding on to, I think, then a seven-point lead. You you throw that ball out of bounds and you punt and you hope your defense kind of holds it together, even though they weren't doing it to that point. Or, I mean, take the sack at that point, man. Take a dive, whatever. Like it, you know, the interception there because the Jets went ahead and got a touchdown after that. So, process-wise, decision making wasn't perfect. But if you take those three interceptions away, guess what? He was ten for ten. He was standing strong in the pocket, which I love to see. My biggest thing with Kenny, and I talked to Ben about this over the summer, was, hey, he kind of falls back in the pocket a lot. He kind of drifts away. He, he gets a little nervous with pressure. What did I say in the preseason? Hey, he was standing tall in that pocket. He, he was taking hits. He didn't care. He did the same thing in this game. He had a very uh, – Quentin Williams, uh, all-pro type defensive tackle for the Jets, had a clean lane on him and knocked him on his butt. Kenny stood tall got a pass to Friar move, got to the three or four yard line, the next play or two plays away from that. Kenny Pickett ran in for a touchdown. And I'm going to say it very quietly because it's just the three of us here. Uh, he looked a lot like Ben Roethlisberger on that touchdown run. I'm just going to, just going to say that. Um, All right, hold on. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's get, let's wait. Like, let's wait a minute. Let's anyways, wait a minute. anyways, listen, you, who did you compare to Andrew Luck a, a few weeks ago? I'm not going to forget that. Was it mentality? Jones? Mentality. <laughs> There's a difference between mentality and and. I'm just saying he know, looked like mirroring. it. The, the way his feet were moving, it that's, looked like it. I'm not saying he. I'm just saying he looked like. Anyways, here's the thing. They, I my only issue with the move because hey, once he came in, he looked good, and you know, obviously this is the future process was just weird if you entered week four against the jets and mitch trubisky was a half away from getting pulled and you knew that uh and kenny didn't get any first team reps that's an issue kenny they should have used those 10 days to say hey look you know what mitch 
we're going to give Kenny a shot here. We're going to see what this looks like. We can frame it as, hey, we've got 10 days. It's the Jets. We have a, a tough slate coming up with four games against really good teams. We're going to give this game to Kenny, and then maybe we can pull that back out. But when you bench Mitch in favor of Kenny, you have no chance to put him back in. Um, and the receivers, I think this is where the decision really came from. The receivers lost faith in Mitch Trubisky. Uh, the, Deont- the interception he threw in this game – to Deontay Johnson, also kind of tipped off of Deontay's hands. Uh, we'll say that quietly too, but it was deflected by a defensive player first. And you could see Deontay knew he was going to get crapped for the interception. He immediately turned to the sideline and said, the ball got tipped. You could see his hands moving up. Ball got tipped. Essentially saying, I didn't have a chance because Mitch threw it to a defender. Uh, George Pickens was done with Mitch all season. <laughs> Every time Mitch threw the ball towards George Pickens, he was mad whether he caught it or not. Um, I think Tomlin knew the only way to save the locker room and keep those wide receivers invested was to go away from Mitch. Whether he truly believed Mitch could do it or not moving forward, he knew the wide receivers weren't bought in, and that was a recipe for disaster. The Phantom Football Podcast is brought to you by Prediction Strike. Does the idea of the stock market interest you, but you aren't really sure what you're doing? Check out Prediction Strike. Prediction Strike is an app where you can invest in athletes like stocks. Buy and sell your stock in an athlete as their value rises and falls. Build your own portfolio of players and sell players before you think they're going to plummet. Download the app and use the code FANTOM at sign up. That's F-A-N-T-O-M. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. And it's awards time, everybody, as we have a few each week to hand out, some of which you may not have ever heard of before and maybe not ever hear of again. Our first award this week is the Ronan was wrong award by Simon. Simon, explain, please. <laughs> well, look, uh, Ronan coined the, the name of the award last week. It's called the Ronan was wrong award. It doesn't mean it's always about Ronan, but we'll just, you know, we don't want too many awards. So anytime we're wrong, I think it's fair to say the Ronan was wrong award. Uh, I am giving it out for something I was wrong about. And you know what? Bill Belichick. Patriots draft uh, team, I was wrong. Now, still only a little bit. I I said the players in this draft class were going to be good. I just didn't think they were worth the draft rounds that they were taken. But this is where you get out of draft season and you get into game season and you don't care the process of the draft picks. You don't care when players got drafted. You care about who those players are. Cole Strange, Looks real good, man. Uh, he, he went up against uh, Cam Hayward a couple weeks ago. He went up against Kenny Clark this week with Green Bay. Uh, Cole Strange at left guard looks really, really good. Jack Jones, a guy, and again, Cole Strange was a guy we were thinking day two, day three. Jack Jones, I thought was a late day three guy. They take him in round four. Every week he's taken more and more on as a defensive starter. He played 99% of the defensive snaps last week. He had a pick six against Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau. That does not happen. Uh, Marcus Jones, third round pick was a guy I was very high on. He's behind Jack Jones. He hasn't re- played a maybe one defensive snap all season so far. He's their kick and punt returner a little bit. He hasn't done all of both duties yet, but, um, they're looking pretty good. Bailey Zappi was actually a guy. I think I discussed this with Ronan. Uh, feel, you feel okay getting who could a guy that can maybe be a long-term backup for you in the fourth round. If you have a lot of picks, which they did. Um, and I think he proved that now did any of his throws actually look like true NFL quarterback throws? No, but 
he ran the offense that was given. He gave him a chance to win the game, and that's what you need as a backup quarterback. So Patriots, the Ronan uh, was wrong award goes to you. Uh, for me, good draft. Way to go. Next up, Ronan, the kicker redemption award goes to Cody Parkey. He is no longer the face of the double doink. Move over, Cody Parkey. Hello, Will Lutz. London game. It was early. Kirk Cousins, the opposite of prime time, so you knew he was going to show up. It was it was a pretty interesting game. Um, Will Lutz, he had the chance to tie it. He had already hit a, I believe, a 60-yarder a couple minutes before. Uh and the Vikings get back out front. Will Lutz lines back up for a 62-yarder. Doink, doink. Double. <laughs> it's a brutal ending for somebody who had to lose this game. We've already in the first four weeks seen a lot of these kind of games that are influencing playoff position at the end of the year. They are influencing all kinds of things, and they are literally toss-up games. We are, we are seeing a lot of this. Um, another fun one there in London. Simon, back to you. The Lance Truman Award goes to. So I mentioned the movie The Comebacks last week. I'm coming right <laughs> back to it today. Lance Truman, uh, famed quarterback who had a bit of a Butterfingers problem. Uh, pretty much dropped everything that he ever had to hold on to. Uh, that goes to Trevor Lawrence this week. Now, those fumbles, varying degrees of how bad they were, how egregious they were, what was his ball security like. Um, that game overall, Jacksonville, Philadelphia, played in the rain, was actually a pretty good game despite the weather, despite injuries kind of happening left and right. Um, but Trevor Lawrence, man, one interception, four lost fumbles in this one. Again, varying degrees of one of them, he was literally just running with the ball with nobody around him, and it slipped out of his hand. The other was one of your classic kind of strip sack fumbles where uh, he wasn't holding on to it the best. So Trevor Lawrence uh, had some good touchdown drives in, in spite of that. And, again, it was a good game. But Lance Truman Award, my man, uh, do better next week. On the flip side, Ronan, I'm going to let you explain it before you name who it is. Uh, the Stocks Award. Yeah, so I almost named this the uh, Stuff Your Pockets Award, but he's not quite to this stage yet. And this award is going to Cooper Rush. He's been putting on a clinic in the, while he's been playing in place of Dak Prescott. And teams like to have a uh, talented backup quarterback on their roster. And he's playing well enough to where fans are calling for him to potentially get a starting role, whether that be in Dallas or – you know, for one of these other teams that might be going through uh, quarterback turmoil. Cooper Rush might be uh, finding himself a payday if he keeps pulling out like he has been. I never thought it before this week, but Carson Wentz and Cooper Rush look like twin brothers. I don't know if you guys saw the side-by-side -side photos or the after-the-game handshake. <laughs> they look an awful lot alike, and I never thought that until yesterday. I encourage everyone in the audience, go check it out, side-by-side -side comparison pictures. Not, not from last year. It's got to be this year, right, this week, because they both have beards. They both have similar haircuts. 
it looks a lot the same. So do you uh, think that Dan Snyder, Jim Jones handshake at the beginning was Dan <laughs> Snyder saying, I'll give you like $10 million cash if we can just have them do a sister-sister act or, or a, 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 oh man, I'm blanking on a 90s movie here. This isn't what I do. But do something where we just kind of let them switch uniforms and you guys take Carson Wentz home and we'll take Cooper Rush home. And that's what we'll do the rest of the season. How much would that yes. be? Is that why Dan Snyder got off his yacht to, to ask him that? That had to be it, right? We're, we'll keep track of bring this. Bring it back. Yes. We'll, we'll keep track of this. One more award from Simon, the Kyler Murrio Video Game Calls Award. Simon. Yeah, anytime a player or team or a coach now demands something specific of another, it will be referred to as the Kyler Murray video game clause word. And that <laughs> goes to Devontae Adams, who walked over to Derek Carr, who walked over to Josh McDaniels after last week and said, you guys will give me the ball no matter what moving forward. And it worked. The Raiders now one and three, their offense looked a lot better. If you look at Devontae Adams and his targets and touches, he really only had one really down week, but it's a matter of which he was getting them. Uh, in this Broncos game, Derek Carr was saying, I'm getting you the ball no matter what. We saw a lot of back shoulder throws. We saw a lot of uh, kind of contested screens. We saw a lot of uh, plays over the middle. Those first few weeks, it felt like Carr was re- – because he's also one of those professionists. He doesn't want to turn the ball over, even though he tends to a lot. Uh, he didn't want to take any risky throws. He was waiting for Adams to be completely, perfectly wide open every time. That was the only time he was throwing to him. You don't have to do that with Devontae Adams, man. He's not Hunter Renfro. He's going to make contested catches. He's going to get open at the last second when you don't think he is. He's kind of like Keenan Allen that way. Um, just throw him the ball, man. And so Devontae Adams said, you guys are now getting me my touches, my targets, no matter what. And it worked. Good for them. It's a great point. The list of coaches is real short that I don't insist they get the ball to their best players every week. It's Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, and that might be it. If, if, you're, if you're one of those two guys and you, you have a reputation for scheming and you win a lot, you can get by with not getting certain players' touches. Literally everybody else, if you've got a guy, even Sean McVay knows this, he makes sure Cooper Cup is getting those touches every single week. Everybody else has to do it. Most of them just aren't good enough to get by without it. Um, totally agree there. Ronan. Last award is yours with the and it's gone award goes to. Yeah, this one's going to go to the Colts. Uh, they had a sliver of hope after they beat the Chiefs. And it's gone, at least for now. <laughs> uh, this team, they're not looking too hot. The offensive line, like Simon said, going into the season, I think everybody was expecting them to be a fringe top eight offensive line, top half of the league at the very least. And they're just not playing up to expectations, nor have really any of the aspects of any of their team. Uh, the offense has looked sluggish. The defense, they've looked sluggish. They're, I need to see Shaq Leonard back on the field and healthy. I need to see the mania. It, it, he came back uh, last week in week four, and had, I think he ended up getting injured again. I don't know if it was a re-injury or if it was a, a new one. I think you went into concussion protocol. One. First game like, back. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I just want to see him back, man. There's uh, so much more we could talk about. We are out of time. Audience, 
those of you listening, we thank you so much for being with us. Simon, I'll let you wrap it up, man. Fantastic. Everybody, thank you guys so much. Please uh, rate, subscribe, uh, review this podcast. We're on Apple and Spotify. Do all the things. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Phantom Football. You can interact with us there, DM us, tweet at us, whatever. Uh, you can email the show at phantomfootballpod at gmail.com. We would love to get some listener questions to talk about on the show. That would be a lot of fun for us. So uh, please reach out and listen to us every Tuesday for all of your uh, weekly NFL game reaction needs. Bye, everyone.